Dear congregation, let us turn in God's holy word to the gospel according to Matthew chapter 5. You find it on page 1115 in your pew Bible. Matthew 5. We'll begin reading with verse 21. And we'll read through verse 26, 21 through 26. And then we will pick up reading at verse 43 and read through verse 48. Let us hear the word of the Lord. Matthew 5, verse 21. This is right after Jesus has come and says he has fulfilled the law. This is in the Sermon on the Mount. And he reminds them that he has not come to destroy it, but just to fulfill it. And... And uh, all of these commands, every jot and tittle of them remain until heaven and earth pass away. And we need a righteousness even that exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Otherwise, we by no means would enter the kingdom of heaven. And that righteousness will only come through the one who fulfilled the law, namely Jesus Christ. But he gets to the very spiritual nature of the law here in verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the consul. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. Let's drop down to verse 43. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, Do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only... What do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Amen. May God bless reading of his precious and infallible word. also like to learn what we confess in regard to the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. Regarding Lord's Day 40, 
Question 105. What does God require in the Sixth Commandment? Answer. That neither in thoughts, nor words, nor gestures, much less in deeds, I dishonor, hate, wound, or kill my neighbor, by myself or by another, but that I lay aside all desire of revenge, also that I hurt not myself, nor willfully expose myself to any danger. Wherefore also the magistrate is armed with the sword to prevent murder. Question 106. But this commandment seems only to speak of murder. Answer, in forbidding murder, God teaches us that he abhors the causes thereof, such as envy, hatred, anger, and desire of revenge, and that he accounts all these as murder. Question 107. But is it, not, is it enough that we do not kill any man in the manner mentioned above? Answer, no. For when God forbids envy, hatred, and anger, he commands us to love our neighbor as ourselves, to show patience, peace, meekness, mercy, and all kindness toward him, and prevent his hurt as much as in us lies, and that we do good even to our enemies. As far as confession regarding the sixth commandment. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, There was once a Sunday school teacher, and she was discussing the Ten Commandments with her class, a class of five- and six-year-olds, and was explaining the commandments, honor your father and your mother, and asked, is there a commandment that teaches us how to treat our brothers and sisters? Immediately, one of the kids put their hand up. She says, Johnny, which is there this commandment? And he immediately replied, you shall not murder. Are there any murderers here today? How have we treated our brothers and sisters? I trust none of us have pulled a trigger and murdered in that sense. But we recognize, especially when we come to this commandment, the spiritual nature of the law as we love God above all and our neighbor as ourself. I'd like to look at you shall not murder. Two thoughts. God's just command and his holy goodness. First of all, his just command. It is a just command for God to say to us and command us, you shall not murder. Because of who God is and what he has done. It is God who has created us. In Genesis 1, we find that God has 
taken dust and formed man, breathed in him life, a living, made him a living soul, created him in his image, a God who is life. We recognize throughout the Scriptures that life comes from God. I think of the psalmist in Psalm 31, verse 15, our times are in God's hands. He is the one who gives life. As Paul is on Mars Hill in Acts 17, he acknowledges that in Him we move and have our being. We have all of our life. And even the world understands it. And the world, the poets, he says, the poets even say we are His offspring. There's a divine God who gives life. We recognize as Job witnesses the reality of death. As he confesses, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Because the God, God is the giver of life. And He's sovereign over all of our life. And He has power to give it and He has power to take it. It is God who has our life in His hands. And you may have the question immediately, then is God who takes life a murderer? Well, what has happened? We recognize in Genesis chapter 3 that life was conditional upon man's obedience. And man sinned and fell into sin in Adam in the fall as they rebelled against God. And the promise was death. And that's all we deserve. We don't deserve life. The One who gives life is merciful and gracious to allow us to live. And so God gives us life in the day of grace and then how much more then ought we to have a holy reverence for life. And the very command here, you shall not murder, emphasizes the very fact that this is a just command from God. Because He is the one who gives life. And despite the fall, we recognize That God has blessed us in His goodness with life. But that doesn't take away the reality that there is death. We are frail creatures of the dust. We are affected by sin. And we need to recognize that murder, that there are many things that don't fall under the category of murder. Because God is also in control of such things as natural catastrophes, such as earthquakes, hurricanes, tsunamis, tornadoes, and, and certainly people die by these things. But there's no murder involved. There are other times where illnesses take us, cancer, viruses. We look at our health, and many times we are affected by and even die by things that are only in God's control. I'm not saying we shouldn't take care of our health with wisdom and grace from God, but the reality is this, that all flesh, the Bible says, is as grass. And we will rise to 70 years or 80 years, 
But then we will soon pass away because of death. And it's not murder. There are accidents in life. Car accidents. Plane accidents. Ship accidents. Work accidents. And the reality is that God has so taken care of life and so takes, and takes life so seriously that He even set up cities of refuge in the Old Testament for those who would kill someone in an accident. There are other times where we see in the Bible that God even commands death. We think of just wars. We think of times when you are called on to protect your life and the life of others and the life of loved ones. Times where God calls to kill because you're protecting your property. There are times when God calls us to kill because He has vested the magistrate with the sword and the death penalty. He didn't vest them with timeouts or rehab. We'll pick up on that under God's goodness. He vested them with a sword. All of these fall outside of the scope of murder. Because murder is to unjustly and intentionally deprive someone of the life that God gives and takes away. And so when we see man in his fallen depravity, we understand that right away in Genesis chapter 4 that Cain and Abel, Cain uh, filled with anger and bitterness against his brother Abel, kills him. And we find that thread throughout history, even to today where we see senseless murders, mass killings, school shootings, and, and the like, horrible things. We see genocide and persecution in so many countries. And in our own country, the genocide of abortion, killing children in the womb, offering euthanasia to sick and dying patients. Oh, God have mercy upon us. I don't have time to get into all of the details on this. You can read it. ARPA has great things written on these matters. But we see the depravity of man and murder all around us. Even promoted and encouraged. But you say, I would never do that. I would never do that. But what about self-harm? What about harming ourselves? Maybe it's through overworking, overeating, excessive drinking, smoking, vaping, or the use of hard drugs, reckless driving. Some of these which endanger others. Young people, I... 
I also ask you, what about things like cutting? My point is not to leave us embarrassed or exposed and condemned before God, but I, but I ask this because we need to see that these are things that cause us to sin against God in the Sixth Commandment. And we need to be very careful not to get sucked into these addictive, self-harming behaviors. And if you have to, and if you have to direct you to turn today in repentance and in faith to Jesus Christ, knowing that He will forgive and knowing He will give strength to fight against these behaviors. You might say, I, I've never murdered anyone. I would never do so. And really, I live a pretty balanced life. Well, let's just dig a little bit deeper into the very spiritual nature of the law that Jesus is setting before us. When He says, I, unless your righteousness exceeds that righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And I have told you, or as a matter of fact, he says, it has been told of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you, he says, that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause, shall be in danger of the judgment. As a matter of fact, Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3 get right to the heart of the matter too where Paul is saying there's, there's no room in a Christian's life for anger, for wrath, for bitterness. It leads to, it leads to murder. And that's exactly what happened to Cain. If you are angry with your brother, you are murdering. I say to you, whoever says to his brother, Raka, what's that mean? It means to be empty-headed, to be worthless. Or if anyone says, you fool. The word in Greek is the word you get moron from. Idiot. You see, our catechism also highlights this, this very truth of, of the scope of the law, that spiritual scope of the law where it says that neither in my thoughts, my words, my gestures, much less my deeds that I dishonor, hate, wound, or kill my neighbor. If our thoughts could kill, how many people would have I and you killed? How many? Would have been more than Hitler. And Stalin. Mussolini. If our thoughts could kill.
It always starts in our mind, doesn't it? Let's not think we're any better than a cold-blooded killer because it starts in our mind. It burns in our heart and comes out in our hand. What if you disciplined your mind by the grace of God to pray for others rather than entertain thoughts of envy and anger and bitterness? If words could kill There's a saying, sticks and bones will break your bones, but words will never hurt you. It's a lie from the devil. If words could kill, how many people would have you killed? And me killed. And I killed. How many of us look back at our childhood years Remember the bullying that went on. How many of us stood up for the less fortunate, the less privileged? How many of us thought the person ahead of us or behind us in class was just a moron or an idiot? How many of us participated in bullying? How many of us gave the weakest members the most honor among us? If words could kill, Or if gestures could kill. As that person flies by us on the highway. And you lay on your horn in frustration and anger. Thinking all kinds of negative thoughts. I hope you never gave him a gesture like some do. Or how many times have we looked at someone... And if looks could kill, what if, by the grace of God, we could just exhibit patience and meekness and mercy and kindness? Fruits of the Spirit. Isn't that what Jesus says? As we read verse 43, You have heard that it is said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. And do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Bless those who curse you. You don't bless them for their curse. You don't 
That's sin. You don't bless sin. But you bless them. In the name of Jesus Christ, when you show kindness and turn the other cheek. You bless them by being honest with them and pointing them to the gospel of reconciliation in Jesus Christ. You bless them as you pray for them. That's the radical nature of Christianity. True love will always be honest with the souls of your neighbor and will always bring the healing balm of the gospel, whether they're your friend or your enemy. Because it's not for just for those who agree with you and like you. The gospel is for all sinners. Notice what Jesus says. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Even the Gentiles do that. The tax collectors do that. He says. If you only greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? You can be kind. You can be courteous to your enemies even. While blessing them with the gospel of reconciliation. I I don't know about you, but when I look at my own heart in light of the spiritual nature of the Sixth Commandment, all I can say is we've all come short, and I, I included. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, and it begins in our own hearts. Yes, we can point the finger, and we also ought to call out our culture on its perverted view of the sanctity of human life. Yes. But what we first need to do is humble ourselves before God and confess our own sins and the sins of our nation. Because God is just to command, you shall not murder. But he's also good in this command. And it's a holy goodness. Notice this verse that I skipped over in verse 45 that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He's saying, He's saying, you need to love your enemies even. You need to bless those who curse you. You need to do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Why? So that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. What does your Father in heaven do? He makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust.
His goodness is shown to us. And if we are sons and daughters of God, of our Father in Heaven, who so cares for His whole creation, so cares for people created in His own image that even the very hairs of our head are numbered, so cares for them even though they've sinned and and deprived themselves of any merit of any blessing from God, He still causes the sun to shine both on the evil and the good and the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. God seeks to preserve life. That's God's plan. And He does so to grant us a day of grace out of His goodness and His grace. You find this. Especially after the flood. You might say, well, God created everything good and there He he, he commanded the sanctity of life as it were. But God did so not only in the law, but also already in Genesis chapter 9. When when Noah and his sons and his family is coming off the ark, what does he say? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. He desired that life would be abounding. And he says this in verse 2, And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth and on every bird of the air and all that move on the earth and all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hand. Every moving thing that moves shall be food for you. God so cares for our life that He has given us all things that He has created in the animal kingdom and the, and the, and the, as well as the, the fish and the birds of the air and so on. All of this He's given for our food to care for our life. Even the green herbs of the field. But he says this, you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Surely, for your lifeblood, I will demand reckoning. From the hand of every beast, I will require it. And from the hand of man, from the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of a man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by his blood shall be shed. For the image of God He made man. And as for you, be fruitful and multiply and bring forth abundantly in the earth. This is why God, in His goodness, has has given the magistrate the sword to execute wrath on those who do evil, to prevent murder, and to deal with murder It's in His goodness. In God's goodness, He gives life. As a matter of fact, in God's goodness, He came and He arrested Cain in Genesis 4. For the good of society in His day, He marked him as a murderer so people could be reminded day after day after day of what Cain did. He was a murderer. So God so preserves life also in requiring the life of a man who takes the life of another man. 
And God gives life. But he also has the right to take it away because of sin. You see, to live is a great responsibility. It's a great responsibility in our society. It has undermined the sanctity of human life. It's a great responsibility as Christians to be fruitful and multiply. It's a great responsibility to take the sixth commandment seriously out of love for God and our neighbor because it's out of God's goodness. But not only physical life, but also all of our life. All of our life. Our psychological life. We are to promote it. We are to care for one another. In our spiritual life, we are called to care for one another. The most murderous thing to do is not to call out sin when it's sin. Have you ever thought of that? To not tell your children that they're doing something wrong when they're doing something wrong. A sin that would lead to death is a sin that you will be responsible for. Not for their physical death or their psychological pain, but for their eternal death. God in His goodness gives us one another to direct to eternal life in Jesus Christ. And God comes and He arrests sinners, murderous sinners, such as you and me, convicts us of our sin, gives us repentance, humbles us in the dust before Him that we would look up and we would see Jesus Christ. The One who gives eternal life to all who believe in Him. That is God's holy goodness in the Sixth Commandment. And how does God display that? How does our Father display that? He gives His only begotten Son. In Romans chapter 5, verse 6, we read, While we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly, He didn't die for His friends. He died for ungodly, murdering sinners such as you and me. That's who He died for. He demonstrates His love to us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies of God, He died for us.
That's why God calls us to love our enemies. To share the gospel with our enemies. It's because God come to save his enemies. That they would be reconciled through the death of his son. And saved by his life. You see, all we deserve is death. But Christ was put to death by wicked, murdering hands so that we might live. Is there anything more good than that? Is there anything more good, dear congregation, that radiates from the heart of God? As he shares his desire with us in Ezekiel, say unto them, say unto those sinners, Jerusalem sinners, as I live, says the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Do you hear his words today? Yes, maybe you're, you're torn by what lies in your heart about anger and bitterness and envy. Maybe you recognize how often you've taken life so flippantly by what we take into our bodies or do to our bodies. Or maybe, maybe you realize that I'm no better than a Cain. I'm no better than any of the mass murderers that I know of. But God says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Murderers can come to me when they turn from their evil way. And he pleads with you and with me today, turn, turn from your evil way. For why should you die, O house of Israel? Will you turn to the one who never had one angry, Oh, sorry, unjustly angry thought. One who never was bitter. One who was never envious. And one who was murdered so that we might be set free. Will you turn? And live. Amen.